Well, that was a good time of worship that we had so far this morning. Uh, now we're going to be going into our Bibles. If you want to go ahead and turn real quick to Matthew chapter 21, that's where we're going to get started this morning. Um, but before we get into the text, um, today is the day that we celebrate. We call it Palm Sunday, uh, the, the Sunday before Easter, right? So um, what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of go and, and look at that story of, of Palm Sunday. And we celebrate what Palm Sunday is. It's the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Right? And if you've heard the story before, you know he, he enters into Jerusalem uh, with pretty much a king's w- welcome. Uh, everybody's praising him, glorifying him. Um, but if, also, if you've heard the story, we know that uh, it wasn't long before everybody kind of changed, before their attitudes and before uh, the things that they were saying had changed. Um, but what we're going to do this morning, what we're going to look at is what exactly changed, why it changed, you know, why was it in such a short amount of time that everybody really kind of changed what it was that they were saying, what they were shouting. Um, and uh, we're going to look and see in the story and wonder, um, we might wonder how their attitude changed even. So we're going to kind of try and look uh, into that a little bit. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at two groups of people and one individual as well. And, uh, you know, many times when we go through the Bible, we read different stories in the Bible. Um, there's all those examples of people who they do things when we look at them and we say, how could you do that? How could you be so dumb? Whether it's the Israelites in the Old Testament, uh, the disciples um, in the New Testament was spending time with Jesus. Why would you do something like that? That was so dumb. Why would you say this? Why would you do that? Um, but then when we're looking at those stories and we, maybe we take a step back and see what's actually going on, we might say, oh, I do the exact same thing. Like, I might not have been in the exact situation, but my response probably would have been pretty similar. You know, it's really easy to look at those people, look at the people in these stories, and kind of judge them for what they're doing. Um, and I'm sure we've all maybe heard kind of a message talking about the people who were praising Jesus when he came in and then wanted to crucify him a week later. We've all probably kind of heard that, and, you know, you hear the thing of, well, you know, I wouldn't do that. And then again, you might look back and say, I don't, I can't say that I wouldn't do that. Um, but that's kind of what we're going to do. We're going to look at these examples and maybe see how we might be more related to or might be more similar to these examples that we're going to look at than uh, we might think or certainly more than we would hope that we would be like them. Uh, but like I said, we're going to look uh, through this passage. Uh, we're going to look at things that happen from the time that Jesus enters uh, into the city, things that happened throughout that week leading up to before um, he was crucified. And obviously we're going to be back here next week. We're going to be back here next Sunday celebrating Easter. Um, you know, we're going to come together with family and maybe friends we haven't seen in a while. Uh, you know, we all like to get some, some new dress clothes and dress up and be really nice for Easter. Um, and we're going to kind of talk about, you know, what is kind of going through our minds when we, when we do things like that. Um, but let's go ahead and get into the text here. We're going to jump around to a couple different passages, um, but the main passage that we're going to be starting with, in this story at least, is in Matthew chapter 21. So if you're there with me, Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to read the first 11 verses there. It says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. 
and a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee. So before we, we're going to jump at a couple, uh, uh, two more passages that kind of reference this story, just to get kind of a well-rounded idea of what's going on here, uh, get a couple different um, point of views as we look at a couple different gospels. But before we do that, just kind of breaking down what we see here, uh, a couple things that we, um, re- we recognize in verse nine, they refer to Jesus, they call him the son of David. Okay, now if, if we've uh, spent time in the Old Testament reading prophecies, uh, they even reference a, a certain prophecy in this passage. Um, but if we were to spend time in looking at those things and looking at the prophecy of the Messiah, we would know that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David. And these people, these Jewish people, they knew that same thing as well, right? They, they knew, they understood the prophecy. They had been hearing it passed down for generations and generations. And so when they're saying this here, when they're referring to Jesus as the son of David, they're basically proclaiming this man is the Messiah. This is the one we've been told about. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one that we've been looking for. And so I want us to rec- remember that and kind of uh, pin that spot right there, the fact that they're referring to him as the son of David. Um, so we're going to jump over to John chapter 12 right now get another different perspective of what's going on here. Uh, Maybe see um, a couple different things of people responding to Jesus coming into the city. But John chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 12 there. John 12, verse 12. It says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. All right, so verse 16 is really what I want to focus on in this passage. It says that as these things were happening, as they were unfolding before them, the disciples, they didn't make the connection. They didn't recognize exactly what was happening, which is especially interesting. This is one of those areas where we might look and see and look at the disciples and say, you guys have spent the last three years with him. You knew at this point that he was the Messiah, right? That's what we kind of think when we read that. And then it took, like, you didn't even recognize right away that he was fulfilling this prophecy that was foretold of the Messiah. And we kind of, you know, think, how, how could you not see that? They must have been blind. Um, and so it says that they didn't understand it at first, but then they remembered once he was glorified, it all kind of clicked. Okay, we know he's the Messiah. This is what was foretold. It's actually happening. So maybe they're starting to connect the dots. Um, but it's, it's interesting to realize that they didn't recognize at the time what was going on. You know, again, we can look through the Gospels and, and the stories of Jesus dealing with his disciples. And there's just a lot, many times when we can say that. Uh, they were a little slow to making the connections, right? They, were, they didn't get things right away. Um, but I think we can, we can definitely relate to that. How many of us have had times in our lives when even when we've been spending time regularly in the Bible, spending time regularly in, play, in prayer, coming to church regularly, you know, the disciples, they were around Jesus every day. So they had that close connection with him. They had, had that personal relationship with him. And even when we are spending time with God regularly, uh, whether in the, in the Bible or in prayer, even we can kind of miss 
what God's trying to tell us in, in certain areas in our lives. He's trying to say, I'm calling you to serve in this ministry. I'm calling you to do this. I'm calling you to, to drop this habit, turn away from this, this idol that you have set up. And even then, it kind of takes us a minute. We don't always, like, if we were to always get it right away, I, I don't know that we would have to come here on Sunday mornings, right? We would have things figured out. But we know we don't have it figured out. None of us have it figured out. So we can definitely uh, relate to the disciples in this area in the fact that, you know, they didn't initially recognize you know, when Jesus was coming into town on the donkey that this is another prophecy of the Messiah uh, being fulfilled. Uh, eventually, they did figure it out. They did connect the dots. Um, and then they even remembered back to the prophecy, which we saw in the last passage it was referenced. It's referenced here again. And if you want to make a note, um, the prophecy that they were referring to is in Zechariah 9, verse 9. So that's where that prophecy is coming from. Um, and, you know, they finally kind of re- remembered, okay, these are, I've heard about this. You know, my parents told me about this. It was passed down. They made, they made the connection. And then we're going to look one final passage, um, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to get the last uh, kind of point of view, uh, different, um, different perspective of this, uh, this story of Jesus coming into the town, into the city. So Luke chapter 19, and uh, we're going to be reading verses 36 through 40. So Luke 19, verses 36 through 40, it says, And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. So first of all, verse 40, well, I guess verse 39 and verse 40, uh, that's, a pretty, uh, that's a pretty cool thing that Jesus did right there. The, the Pharisees, they said, tell these people they need to stop praising you like you're God. They need to stop, you know, worshiping you like you're the Messiah. Because obviously we know the Pharisees, they weren't the biggest fans of Jesus. Um, so they're telling him, listen, you, you got to tell them to stop this. Things are getting out of hand. They're, they're, they're get, getting crazy. And he says, listen, even if I did tell them to stop, the rocks are going to cry out. Okay, even if they stop praising my name, the rocks are going to cry out. So that's a really cool thing that happened right there. But what I really want to focus in on in this passage um, is uh, up in verse 37 when it talks about uh, they were praising him in a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. So that's referencing the past three years of Jesus' ministry on the earth. Whether it be miracles, teachings, healing people, whatever it was, they've seen him do all these amazing things. And I'm sure the disciples, the people who followed him extra closely, were with him every single day. They probably even saw tons of things that were amazing, that probably blew their minds. And it's, it's again, another one of those instances where all the things that we read about of Jesus' ministry in, in the Gospels, that's... That's not all that he did while he was here, right? He could have done many, many more miracles, uh, spoke many other great things that we don't even have written in here. And the disciples, they were able to witness all this. So again, it's, it's one of those things where we think you had even more than we have now. You had him face to face every single day and you still missed it at first. Um, but again, even, even with what we have, we also have the whole Bible put together. They didn't have that, right? We know what's coming. We know how it's going to end. We know all of this, and we still screw up. We still overlook things all the time. Um, but again, I wanted to focus on the fact that they had praised him for all the mighty works that they had seen, okay? Um, so now what we're going to do, we're going to kind of look, um, kind of break this down and look at a couple different groups of people, an individual, and we're going to see from this point, you know, Jesus enters the city. There's this great welcome for him. Everybody's praising him, uh, worshiping him, throwing their, their clothes down on the ground for him, throwing uh, palm branches down on the ground for him. 
and really, again, it was a king's welcome into the city. But now we're going to look at three different instances from that point up until the time that Jesus uh, was on the cross where everybody kind of switched and kind of changed what they were doing. So the first, uh, first group that we're going to look at, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. So go on and turn back to Matthew. I said we were jumping around, so I hope you guys uh, are ready to be doing that. Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to start in verse 36 once we get there. So Matthew 26, 36. It says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may, pa- may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to the disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. So as we go into these different passages, we're going to look at these three different examples. We're going to kind of break it down, understand what the setup of for the situation is, and then we're going to look at what exactly happened. And, and, and then what we're going to do is we're going to see, okay, what changed from earlier in the week when, when they were praising him. So obviously the setup, we understand, we already mentioned that the disciples, they've spent uh, the entirety of Jesus' earthly ministry with him. Every day they've been with him uh, for three years. Again, they saw him do many great things. We just looked uh, back in Luke when they were praising, when everybody, all of his followers, not just the 12 disciples, but they were praising him for the many great things that they had seen him do. And we, like we said, the disciples, they probably saw more than anybody else. So they've been with him for three years. They saw him do many great things. Uh, they were able to learn from his teachings. And again, not just large, the large group teachings, probably one-on-one, right? And especially people like Peter, John, we know they were kind of in Jesus' inner circle. They probably had more than, than literally anybody. So we understand that they're very close with him. And really, you think about the fact that they spent every day with him for this long, like their relationship is probably pretty close to what a relationship between brothers would be. That's kind of what their relationship was like with Jesus. He was like a brother to them. Yes, he was their master. Um, they learned from him. They, he taught them. Uh, but the kind of you know, interaction that they had, the time they spent with each other, uh, was really like brothers. And so as you kind of read through this and you really try and understand what Jesus is going through, it really kind of, you know, raises a couple questions of how, how could they do this, right? So we see as we go, what happened, right? We know that Jesus prayed. And as we read early on, especially, he even says um, to Peter and a couple other people, he says uh, that, he says, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. So not only is he, he's literally telling them, listen, I am a mess, right? Because why? Why is he a mess? He knows exactly what's going to happen. Right? Like I said, we have the, the complete Bible here. We can go and we can see all the horrible torture, the beatings that he endured just leading up to the cross. 
And then exactly what happened on the cross. He knew every little detail of what was going to happen, right? Because he is God. So he knew exactly what he was about to endure. That's why multiple times we see him praying to the Father, if, if it's at all possible for me to not have to go through with this, please don't let me go through with this. But in the end, he does say, your will be done. Because he ultimately knew that this was really the only way that he could give us and offer us salvation. But he knew exactly what he was going to be going through. That's why he's, uh, he's exceeding sorrowful, even unto death, and why he's, he's probably you know, sick to his stomach. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And he's trying to tell them. If, if he's feeling like this, it's probably also pretty visible that he's not feeling well. He's, he's not in a good place. Again, they've been with him every day. They know when he's normal, and they could probably tell when he's upset. And even if they couldn't, he even you know, helped them out a little bit. Listen, I'm pretty upset. Um, and so he was praying. He's busy upset. They couldn't even stay awake to pray with him. Now, at this point, you know, it's, it's pretty late. You know, it's in the middle of the night probably. Um, now, I know with uh, working with the teenagers and when we do all-nighters, they always, they're, they're excited. They love it, right? They want to come uh, spend all night together. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of the point where I'm over it, you know. Um, I'm not really a fan of staying up all night. Uh, and usually it's about, I don't know, Three or four where, okay, the charms wore off, you know, we had our fun. Now, if everybody could just kind of keep it down a little bit, um, you know, maybe an, an hour later, once you get to, you know, we usually wrap up around seven in the morning. Once you get to five, you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? And I mean, I can't go to sleep. The other, Zach, Megan, Deanna, we can't go to sleep because if we do, then it's chaos. Then they're running the building and we don't know what they're going to, what they're going to do, what they're capable of. But so I can kind of relate, you know, they, they've been through a lot as well. Uh, they're obviously really tired. Um, but what really kind of jumps out to me is the fact that even when Jesus was telling them that he was sorrowful, that he was, he was upset, when he was trying to tell them, listen, all you got to do is just spend a little bit of time, you know, in prayer. That's all you got to do. Just, just stay here. He, like, he didn't even have them necessarily come, you know, all up with him. Now, the, the main group, they were a little further off. He took Peter and the sons of Zebedee, took them a little bit further away. But Jesus was still kind of off on his own and praying. Um, and really, all that they had to do, you know, in my mind, you're kind of thinking of, well, how can we get away, you know? If, if we can just, if, if one guy just w- stays awake, right? And you see Jesus coming back, you can be a nudge. Okay, wake me up. I don't want to be in trouble, right? That's, that's kind of where my mind goes. But th- they're all falling asleep. They can't stay awake. So what is it that changed? Because remember, just a few days ago, they, were, they weren't the, like the great multitude that was already there. They were, you know, in Jesus' group traveling. But they were able to witness this. And I'm sure as they're witnessing this, they're getting pretty fired up. If, if you've ever been uh, to, you know, maybe some kind of big uh, conference, uh, you know, wherever that might be, or you've been part of like a really big uh, uh, gathering of Christians, or even here on Sunday mornings, right, when we're singing together here, you know, you can get pretty excited, right? When we're worshiping together, you can hear everybody's voices. We're lifting up his name together. That can get you pretty excited. I mean, I, I know at least for me up here, I can get pretty excited. Um, try and keep the tempo, right? I don't want to, you know, let my excitement, you know, speed up how I'm playing. But, uh, in, in, you know, that might be a little bit difficult for the other people around me up here. But I, I can get excited. You know, when that's happening, when we're all praising together, I get fired up. And they were probably pretty fired up when they were seeing all these people praising Jesus as he entered into the city. And so they probably joined in as well. So what is it that changed from then to where now they have, like, absolutely no excitement at all? They can't even stay awake, let alone stay awake and pray. So, again, we can see here the disciples, they couldn't make time to pray while Jesus prayed, even though he was their master teacher and even brother for three years. 
uh, Jesus gave so much to them, right? Just think about all the time, all the energy, um, all the teachings that he poured into them, the love that he showed them. He gave so much to them, but they couldn't give just a little bit of time of prayer. So what happened to the men who followed Jesus and served him and witnessed many great things over the last three years, right? What happened to them? Um, but I think maybe we can kind of figure out what happened to them because we can kind of relate. How many times have we been too busy or too tired or too distracted to spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, or maybe even uh, go to church? You know, it's, it's been a really crazy week. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, you have to be here every single time. You know, things happen, things come up in our lives. Um, but sometimes we kind of use things as an excuse, right? Well, I, I, I just didn't have time to spend time in the Bible today. I didn't have time uh, to, to spend time in the Word. And I actually, uh, I, fought, I saw uh, a meme the other day. Um, now, for everybody who doesn't know exactly what a meme is, um, that's just, you know, something on the internet, uh, you know, a funny picture, a couple words with it. That's basically what it is. But uh, I saw one the other day because it was on, uh, like, some kind of uh, youth group page. And basically what it said, it was uh, the I didn't have time to read my Bible starter pack. And it was a picture of somebody playing video games, somebody on their phone, you know, a picture of Netflix, something like that. Basically saying, I didn't have time to spend time in the Word. I didn't have time to... to do my devotions, but I spent three hours playing video games the other day, or for whatever it is, I spent however many, however much time watching TV. I went and did this. Really, it's not that I didn't have time; I didn't make the time. I didn't prioritize the things that I wanted to do in my life. And you think about it. Yes, we haven't spent all the time. We haven't spent three years in person with Jesus like the disciples did. But think about all the great things that God has done for us, the things that uh, he's, he's led us through, the things that just him being there for us every single day when we need him. Uh, he's, he's given us life, literally. Uh, he sent his only son to die on a cross for us so that we don't have to spend an eternity in hell. Okay, just those two things alone. He gave us life. He sent his son to die on a cross for us. I shouldn't, we, we shouldn't even have to go past those two things to realize I should be wanting to give all of my time to him. I should be dedicating as much of my life as possible to him. But then we can go beyond that. We can think, okay, there's been times in my life when it's been a really difficult time. I've been really kind of going through it. But God was always there every step of the way. Now, there might have been times when I didn't realize that he was there with me. Uh, I didn't realize what was going on. Um, you know, the men's Bible study that we've been doing the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about detours. And basically what detours are, what we're talking about, is when you're kind of going on a certain path in your life and you think, this is where I need to be going. And then all of a sudden, something happens. God kind of changes the plan. Says, okay, now we're going to go this way a little bit. Right? If you want an example, think about the Israelites in the Old Testament as they're going through the wilderness, or even as they escaped Egypt. He could have just taken them a direct route, right? When, whenever we uh, use you know, Google Maps or whatever we use to go somewhere, we're always trying to find the, the quickest route, the fastest way to get there. You know, I don't want to you know, do a couple loops and go all over the place. It's save you know, the scenic route for another time. I want to get there. Right? But that's not what he did with the Israelites in the Old Testament, and that's not what he does with us today, right? We don't always go from point A to point B directly. He takes us different paths, different detours to kind of allow us to grow so that when we get to point B, we're where we need to be, you know, spiritually, men mentally, um, emotionally, to, to be at point B. And so that's what, you know, he, he redirects us. Um, in different directions so that we can continue to grow and can, can continue to trust in him. And probably there's been many times in all of our lives where we can think back, God was definitely in control. I didn't realize it at the time, but he was definitely in control. He's always been there for me. He's literally never let me down. I've let him down plenty of times before, but he's never let me down. 
So again, we can think about all these things that he's done for us, given us life, uh, given us salvation. Uh, He provides for us everything that we need. And now, again, we need to remember and realize there's a difference between what we need and what we want. Sometimes, Sometimes they intersect, sometimes they overlap, but he always provides what we need. Okay, um, and so the fact that he's done all of this for us, that he's given all these things to us, always supplies our needs. Why is it that we have such a difficult time giving him just a little bit of time in our day? It's not that we don't have time, right? If, if God knows that, like, he knows what our schedules are. He knows our lives better than we know it. And so he wouldn't ask us to spend time with him if he was like, oh, you know what, you're good. I, you got a lot on your plate. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll meet up again next week. Like, that's not how it is. Like, he wants to spend time with him so that we can grow with him, grow closer to him, and, and trust him more. And so we're definitely just like the disciples in this instance, right? They couldn't stay awake. They couldn't spend a little bit of time in prayer. And finally, after three times, Jesus says, listen, time's up. Like, he's here. Judas is here. He's betrayed me. It's all going down. Like, he's been warning them about all this thing, these things that are going to happen. He's been telling them that it's coming, and he's just wanting to spend some time in prayer beforehand, right? He's wanting to spend time just praying because he knows, you know, the clock's running out. They don't realize it. He's not telling them right away. He's just saying, listen, let's spend some time in prayer. And finally, he's like, it's it. We don't have any more time. We got to go. Um, so we can definitely relate to the disciples in this instance. You know, we can see, in, well, what changed? Well, we know. It, we just haven't prioritized. We haven't understood exactly, you know, we forget that God's in control. We forget what he's done for us. We forget that he provides for us. And that's probably what th- they did here. They forgot all the things that they were just praising him for. They forgot all the great works. They forgot that, okay, if he's the Messiah, right, we just recognize him as the Messiah. We know what the Messiah is supposed to come to do. You know, they, they, they had to have known something was going to be coming soon. Um, but we can definitely relate to them in that instance. So the second example that we're going to look at uh, is we're going to turn uh, just a few verses up. We're going to stay in Matthew chapter 26, but we're going to jump to verse 69. So Matthew 26 and verse 69. Again, this is all happening between the time that Jesus entered the city and before he goes to the cross. All right. So again, this is a pretty pretty familiar story, uh, especially this time of year. Uh, It's a pretty familiar story for us. Um, but Matthew chapter 26, verse 69, we're going to be looking um, at what Peter was going through. So Matthew 26, verse 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace. And a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto him, said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him, they that stood by and said to Peter, surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to answer, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. Now, um, and then verse uh, 75, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, before the cock crowed, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, if we remember back to when they were having the last supper together, uh, they were all kind of, you know, it was, it was a pretty intimate kind of time for, for the disciples and Jesus. Um, and Jesus, is, you know, he's doing these things. He's breaking the bread. Uh, he's, he's telling them that the, the, the wine is like his, uh, like his blood. And they probably don't understand 
exactly what he's talking about. Um, it was probably a little bit weird because, you know, he hasn't really done something like this before. They didn't really know what was going on. But while they're there, you know, they're kind of talking, having different conversations. And Peter's, you know, he's telling Jesus how much he loves him. Um, and Jesus tells him, we see here in verse 75, it references it. He tells him, listen, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter, I would never do that. Right? I'm not going to deny you. I'm your guy. I'm your right-hand man. Right? Peter, he was basically, he was, you know, the oldest disciple. He was kind of their, the, like the leader of the disciples. They all followed after Jesus, but he was basically, if you want to think of it, as their spokesperson. Like if they, you know, had something that they wanted to tell Jesus, Peter was probably the one to do it. Peter was kind of the guy in charge. Right? He was basically, I guess if you want to say, second in command. So when Jesus tells Peter, listen, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three different times. Peter, he's probably, when I think of, if I were in his shoes, there's probably a few things that go through my mind. One, no way. There's no way I would ever do that. Two, might I do that? Like, he's Jesus. He knows. Like, is there a chance that I would do that? And then I start thinking, well, if there's a chance, like, what would cause me to do that? Right? What would cause me to deny that Jesus is the Messiah? He's the Son of God. And really, all these people are saying, aren't you a guy who follows around with him? Aren't you a guy who's with him? And again, like I said, Peter, he's like, you know, the the main disciple. He's in Jesus' inner circle. So as they're traveling, Peter's probably right next to him. Okay? And again, you think back to all the things that Jesus did, all the teachings, all the miracles. He becomes a pretty recognizable face. And probably the second most recognizable face would be the guy right next to him, which should be Peter. And so, I mean, have you ever been out in public somewhere and you see somebody, maybe not now because we don't have masks on our face, but have you ever been out in public and you see somebody, you're like, I know you. And then you're like, do do I know you? Or you you, want to say their name, but then you're like, if I'm wrong, I'm going to look like an idiot. I don't want to look, I don't want to look dumb like that. And so then you kind of say it. And then there's kind of that pause, like, oh, please be somebody that I know. Please, please be somebody that I know. And, and then they're like, oh, yeah, you know, from here. Or, you know, if it's the worst day of your life, no, we've never met before. Okay, well, I'm just crazy. And then you go on your way. Um, but we've probably been in that kind of situation. So these people, they're like, especially the first, the first one, she says, hey, aren't you a follower of Jesus? I've seen you with him. And he says, no. So she's like, oh, well, I look stupid. And then another guy's like, no, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I've seen you with him. You've been, you've been with him. And he says it. He was like, no way, you got, me, you got the wrong guy, it's not me. And the third time, and again, you kind of think back to, it wasn't that long ago when Jesus says, you're going to deny me. So maybe after the first one, Peter, he doesn't, he doesn't make the connection. And then after the second one, be like, okay, over the last three years, how many times have I denied Jesus? Okay, how many times have I denied him two times back to back like this? Like, it's just, it hasn't happened. So maybe what he said was true, all right? But, and then the third time happens, and that's, and like, it's, it's almost like a script, right? The third time happens, and then there's the rooster, right? He, he crows, and, Peter, and that was like kind of the bell. You know, like somebody gets hypnotized, and you say like the magic word, and all of a sudden, you know, they do whatever. The, the, the cock crew, and Peter's like, oh, I just did it. That was the three times. He was right. I did it. And it says that he went and wept bitterly. So, again, he, he realized that he probably, when Jesus told him that, when he was like, oh, there's no way. He probably wasn't necessarily trying to convince Jesus. He probably thought for a minute, that there, there really was no way. He couldn't see himself in that moment. He couldn't see himself being somebody who would deny Jesus. But he did. So again, the setup of what's going on here, we know that Peter's a part of Jesus' inner circle, basically the leader of the disciples. Um, even just before this happens, right? After they were you know, being lazy and not praying, 
and then Judas brings the people to come arrest Jesus, who's the guy who steps forward and cuts somebody's ear off? That was Peter, right? He was so for being behind Jesus that he, he's willing to cut a guy's ear off, okay? All these things happen, right? Jesus, Jesus even told Peter, you're going to betray me, betray me, and he couldn't believe it. Maybe that was a little motivation why he was so zealous with the sword, right? Jesus, there's no way I'm going to cut this guy's ear off. Um, but so we see, like, all these things, like, so what exactly, what changed, right? We know Peter, he, he denies Jesus in exactly how Jesus said it would happen. Um, he remembers what happened. So, so what changed from this guy who was pretty much Jesus' right-hand man? He was always right there with them. Peter was the same guy who was walking on water, right? You'd think he would have learned his lesson because when he took his eyes off Jesus, that was when he began to sink. And so you would think that he would have, you know, been a little bit smarter at this point, uh, but he wasn't. And we're the same way. So Peter ended up doing exactly what he didn't believe he would do. He couldn't believe that he would even be uh, capable of that. He never thought that he would get to the point of denying Jesus. But think, think about the situation again. Jesus has been arrested. He's been taken here. He's being put on trial. So Jesus, or Peter, he's probably starting to be a little bit afraid. Okay? He's especially probably fearing for his life. If Jesus is, you know, if they're going after him, they're putting him on trial. They're, they're going to try and kill him. Who's the next people they would go to? His followers, right? The disciples. And again, if Peter is the guy who's always right there with Jesus, he's probably going to be, you know, their number one target. He's got a bullseye right on his head. And so he's probably starting to fear for his life a little bit. And as he starts to fear for his life, just like when he was walking on the water, right? He looked around. He's like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. We don't walk on water. That's not a thing. But so even as he kind of lost focus then, he loses focus now because he's afraid for his life. He's getting nervous. And so because of that, he lost focus of what he knew to be true. And what he knew to be true was that Jesus was the Messiah, right? We, we saw that they were, the people were claiming that he's the son of David. All the things that they had seen Jesus do day in and day out, they, they, they've known by now that he's the Messiah, Okay, so he knew it to be true that Jesus was the Messiah and that God was in control no matter what. Because even when Peter started to sink, Jesus was still able to pull him out. Peter was still fine. Right? He, he also saw Jesus calm the storm. He saw Jesus do all these amazing things. So he knew, he knew that God was in control. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. These are all things that he knows. And I'm sure there's many things that we know as followers of Christ, if, if we put our faith and trust in him, we know God, right? We have knowledge of who he is, what he's done for us, what he's capable of doing. We know it. But then you have to take that next step of just putting your faith in him that he's going to do it, right? We know that he's going to do it. But we also know that the devil and his demons, like they know Jesus. They know, they know who God is. They know he's He's the guy who created everything. He's the creator of the universe. He's given life to everybody and everything. So even the devil and the demons, they know him. They fear for him. They fear of him because of that. And so we know these things. We know what's true, but we get distracted. There's things that happen in our lives. Maybe things aren't going the way that we think. Like I mentioned before, the detours. Maybe things are kind of, you know, getting messed up in our lives. Or maybe even we've, maybe we've actually been to the point of, you know, denying Jesus like Peter did. You know, maybe whether, you know, in school, around friends, family members, at work, uh, just out in public, whatever it might be, maybe we've been afraid to kind of admit that we're a Christian because of the reaction that's going to come back. Is there going to be any kind of ridicule? Um, maybe I've been afraid to invite somebody to church. Like, you know, next Sunday for Easter, I'm sure a lot of us are going to be inviting a lot of people, we, as we should, to, to come out to Easter. Um, but maybe there's that little bit of hesitation. Well, I don't want to do it because I don't want to, 
Like, what are they going to think about me? Like, what if they say no? And maybe we're not straight up denying who Jesus is, but we're kind of in the same boat as Peter as that we are, we lose focus and we're kind of afraid of what's going to happen if I admit to being a follower of Jesus. Or maybe we've actually been to that point where somebody's like, are you a Christian just based on conversation? And then you're like, maybe you've been to that point where you're like, no, I'm not. You know, you just kind of brush it off to the side, try and change the subject. Um, maybe, maybe we've actually been in a situation like that. I don't know. Um, but we've all probably been in some kind of situation where we've, you know, hesitated to kind of admit to, you know, coming to church, being a follower of Jesus, or maybe uh, standing up and saying something because people are doing things, saying things that they shouldn't be, and we're afraid to stand up and say something to, to do what's right because, well, I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to be called, you know, you know a goody two-shoes or whatever it is. Um, so, again, we might not, I doubt any of us have ever been in the exact situation that Peter's been in, but maybe we've been in some kind of similar situation and we kind of lose focus because we get afraid, we're nervous, we don't know what's going to happen, and because of that, we end up, you know, not putting faith in the truth that we know to be true, all right? So we, we've already seen that how we can, be, we can relate to the disciples as a whole about not making time to spend time with God, not making time to pray. Uh, we, we see that we can relate to Peter as well uh, in, you know, maybe losing focus and being a little nervous or being afraid of what might happen if people know that I'm a Christian, people know that I go to church. So the third group that we're going to look at, we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to read verses 11 through 26. And this is another, another large group, right? We saw at the beginning of the week, Jesus came into this great multitude praising him. And now we, we see pretty much the complete opposite happening here in Matthew 27. So Matthew chapter 27, we'll start in verse 11. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. So basically, you know, Pilate, he, he's realizing that they're, they're angry, they're upset at Jesus. He, he basically, he's recognized that Jesus hasn't really done anything wrong. So he's saying, maybe if I put this decision out to them, they'll kind of realize what they're doing. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be okay with me letting him go. Uh, Verse 19, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. So even his wife saying, Listen, you don't just don't have anything to do with him, okay? I've had this dream, you know, because of what's been going on with him. You should have nothing to do with this. She's trying to, you know, give him some, some wisdom here. Verse 20 says, But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? So again, he's kind of giving them another, this is your, it's another out. 
Okay? I'm giving you another chance to kind of realize what's going on. So he says, uh, what hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Which that's, that's a pretty big thing that they just said, right? Like if, if they were to kind of look back after what happened, if they were to know what they were doing, that's a big thing that they just said. His blood is on us and on our children. And then verse 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So kind of setting up what's happening here. Again, we know that Jesus was praised when he entered in the city. Um, and then we also see here that Pilate, he's offering to, he's offering, okay, you can either let Jesus go or you can let Barabbas go. And now it's, it's kind of, in, in my mind, that's a pretty weird custom, right? Around the time of the feast, the guy in charge, he can release a prisoner. But just because we're celebrating, having a good time, we can let this guy go. Like, what did he do to get let go, right? That's a weird thing all by itself. But either way, um, what's going on here, he says, okay. And he took, it says, a notable prisoner. So this is a guy that people knew. They knew that this guy actually did things wrong. He was an actual, you know, criminal. And he knew that multiple times as we read through this, he knows that Jesus is not a criminal. He knows that he has dealt nothing wrong. He refers to him as a just man. And so he says, okay. If I offer up this, this guy who hasn't done anything wrong and this guy that everybody clearly knows has done things wrong, obviously they're going to say, let Jesus go. This guy, he's done bad things. And they, they still didn't even take it, right? Pilate, Pilate offered it, and they didn't take it. People were just making claims that Jesus was the Messiah just earlier in the week. They were just referencing uh, the fact that he was the son of David. They knew that he was the Messiah. They were praising him for all the things that he had done. So they had seen the things that he had done, why now? Like, they haven't forgotten that all of a sudden, have they? They haven't forgotten the things that he's done. Uh, but so what's going on here? What, what happened? Well, again, when they had the option, they decided to let Barabbas be released. You know, give us the prisoner. We don't care. Uh, they shouted to crucify him. And they were previously just praising him. Now they want him to be crucified, not just killed, but killed in, like, one of the more gruesome ways possible. And so... Their praise and worship turned into anger and hatred. All right. Now this is that. This is the one example where we were like, "Oh, there's, there's no. I'm not like these people. All right. I, I'm with you. We're, you know, we're like the disciples. I don't always make time, spend time with God. Or I'm like Peter. You know, maybe I've been afraid of what people might think of me if they know that I'm Christian. But I've never been like this. Right. Well, let's let's try and figure out what it was that changed in them to where they got to this point. So the crowd they started listening to the wrong people. Right. We read in this passage that. The, the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the elders, uh, they persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So they were already kind of on the edge, right? The people were already kind of on the edge, and then the elders and the chief priests, they're kind of, you know, whispering in their ears. They're trying, you know, they're, they're like the people in the back of the crowd. They're like kind of getting the, the, the chant started, and they're trying not to take credit for themselves, but they're, they're trying to get these people riled up. They said, ask for Barabbas. Tell them to, you know, do away with Jesus. And so they started listening to the wrong people. The religious leaders, they'd been trying to get people to turn on Jesus for how long, right? His whole ministry, they're always following him around, trying to get him to trip up, trying to witness him trip up so they could say, look, here, he's a bad guy. And they're still trying to do it here. So as the people began to lose their perspective, they began to believe a lie and forget all the things they had seen Jesus do. 
and all the things that they had learned from his, his teachings. They kind of lost their perspective of what was going on. You know, things were kind of riled up. It was pretty hectic, pretty crazy. And they kind of lost their perspective. And when they lost their perspective of who this man is, we've seen him do many great things. We just, we acknowledge him as the Messiah. They lost perspective. And once they kind of lost their focus, their perspective on who Jesus was, it was that much easier to start to listen and believe to the wrong voices, the wrong influences. So how do we relate to that? How, how can we relate to, to those people who lost perspective? Well, there have probably been times in our lives where circumstances or people around us have influenced in a way when we've lost perspective of the truth. Okay, maybe so, something in our, in our life has happened, like we just talked before, about when God has us go on a different path than we were expecting. And maybe we get kind of frazzled, frazzled and we lose perspective and we forget the fact that God is in charge, right? He has this happening for a reason. We kind of forget that. We lose perspective. And in doing that, then maybe we start doing things like maybe we begin to blame God for bad things that happen to us, right? We start blaming him for those things. Maybe we start even to get angry at him. God, why would you allow this to happen? You know, I think about somebody like Job, right? Job lost literally everything. He lost literally everything in his life. And even his friends were saying, listen, you know, they were probably putting themselves in Job's shoes. Listen, you need to just curse God and die, which, what kind of friends are those, right? Listen, your life is horrible. You might as well just give up, curse God, and just die, right? But that's, you know, that's kind of, I guess, the, the human mindset. If your life is going this horrible, it's got to be, you know, you, you should be angry at God for allowing this to happen to you. And so it's not out of the realm of possibility for when things bad happen to us, we blame God or we get angry at God. Um, and instead of growing angry at him, blaming him for things, we should remember back to other times in our lives where things haven't gone our way, when things have gone bad. Because um, I doubt if, if, if all of us tomorrow were to face something bad in our lives, I doubt it's the first time any of us have faced anything bad, okay? Um, I mean, if you haven't faced anything bad, I'd like to hear about it because it'd probably, you know, make a pretty exciting book or something. This person's always had a great life. Everything's been perfect for them, Right? But in, uh, instead, we should remember all the things that, all the times that God's carried us through difficult situations in our lives, um, and turn to Him and trust in Him, trust in Him, rather than blaming Him and getting angry at Him, losing perspective of okay, God's in control. If I'm having to go through this, I can use, I can praise God because right, we read in the New Testament that when we fall into diverse temptations, we should count it all joy, right? When we're facing trials and tribulations, count it all joy, and. Now, that's, again, that's a little bit weird for people who maybe don't have the hope of Christ. They don't have salvation, and they see that we, you know, I mean, we're not laughing and having a great time when things are going bad, but we're also not doom and gloom and, and all depressed, right? So we know that he's carried us through before. We need to turn to him and trust in him that he's going to do it again. But most importantly, we already talked about it, most importantly, we need to remember what he did when he died on the cross for us. He sacrificed his own life so that we can now once again have a mended relationship with God. That relationship that was broken all the way back with Adam and Eve in, Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, that relationship was severed. Now through what Jesus did on the cross, we can have that relationship mended. We can have a personal relationship with him each and every day, and we get to spend eternity with him. So yes, he's carried us through all kinds of difficult circumstances in our lives, but he's also, he's given us life, but he's also offered us eternal life. And so... Yeah, things might go bad. Things might get kind of hectic in our lives, might not go the way that we want. But if we remember, we keep our perspective and don't start listening to, you know, 
our friends like Job just curse God and die, we don't start listening to the wrong influences. We can keep our right perspective and understand, listen, I know God is in control. I can trust in him. He's going to give me the strength. He's going to give me the, the will to be able to get through this. And I'm going to be able to grow closer to him. I'm going to be able to grow stronger in my faith. And I'll be able to share that, my story with other people who might be going through a similar thing. So, again, we, we've seen how we can relate to the disciples not, not making time to spend time with God. We can relate to Peter about maybe being nervous, being afraid of what might happen if people know that we go to church, people know that we're a Christian. And we can even relate to this crowd who, who cried, crucify him, in the fact that sometimes we can lose perspective of the fact that God is in control. We can lose perspective of who he is, everything that he's done for us, everything we know he's going to do for us. And, and we can get angry at him and... and be upset at him and blame him for bad things. So, like I said at the beginning, it's easy to look at these three examples that we talk about and point out how all these people are horrible. They're, they're horrible people, point out all the wrong things that they've done. But again, if we take a step back, we kind of look at the root of what it is that they did, well, we can relate. So the fact is, uh, again, we've probably been guilty of leaving church on a Sunday morning and or leaving Bible study or finishing, you know, we just spent some time with a fellow Christian talking about God, talking about what we've been learning in our personal devotions. There's probably been times when we've left situations like that, and then we go and do or say something that in no way reflects our commitment to Christ, in no way reflects what we just spent time doing, right? We've spent time here in the Word. we spent time worshiping God together, and then some of us, we might get in our cars and go do or say something that's in no way reflecting of what we've you know, done here together today. Um, And I think the scary thing is that that can happen so quickly, right? It can literally happen once you get in the car. So it's scary that it can happen so quickly. Um, And I think specifically about Easter, right? We have Easter coming up next week. Um, Now, it's great that we, we celebrate Easter. We come and we celebrate the fact that Jesus died on a cross and rose again for us. And, you know, we get all excited about that. We celebrate with people. We post on Facebook. He is risen. We do all the things we're supposed to do, right? We dress up real nice. Um, and then it, it all changes on Monday, right? There's nothing, sp- like, when we come in here for Easter next Sunday, there's nothing special about that specific day, right? It's just another Sunday. Have you, has anybody ever found out or looked into, because we know Easter is not on the same date every year. Does anybody know how we decide when Easter is going to be? I looked it up. Basically, it's the first Sunday after the first full moon on or after, like, the spring equinox. That's insane. Why do we do that? Like, like we, we know that Christmas is always December 25th, right? We know that. So, but if you didn't have a calendar where on Easter Sunday it said Easter, you would pretty much have to have, like, a Ph.D. in astronomy to figure out when Easter is supposed to be this year. And so there's nothing really special about that specific day. We just, that's the day that we choose to celebrate Easter. But again, we, we, we get all excited, we celebrate it, and it's, that day isn't really anything special. We should be celebrating the story of Easter, the fact that Jesus died on a cross and raised from the dead so that we could have salvation. We should be celebrating that each and every day. That's something that we should be wanting to share with everybody that we come in contact with. Okay? And so... Again, it can be so quick that we can lose that perspective, that we can change from being in here, praising him, worshiping him, and we go out and do something completely different that will hurt our testimony or whatever it is. Um, And that can happen so quick. But if we keep our focus on God, if we remember all the great things that he's done for us, all the things that he's done in our lives, most importantly, the fact that he saved us, that 
the fact that he saved us, that gives us the energy, the joy, the hope to get up every single day and face whatever, whatever it is that we're going to face. And so we'll be able to recognize if we're keeping our focus on him and we're like spending that, a mindset of prayer throughout the day, we're spending time in the word, if we're always focused on him, then maybe as we start to see signs of those changes that we saw in these people that we've seen in our own lives, as we kind of see the start of it, maybe we can kind of recognize it and catch it early. Like, you know, right when you're about to get, you know, a cold, you get kind of that little tickle in your throat or your nose starts to run. And you're like, okay, I'm about to get a cold. I can, you know, try and do whatever it is that I, I need to do to stop it from getting worse, right? Take vitamins, whatever it is. And it can be kind of the same thing here. If we're keeping our focus on God, we'll be able to recognize that when these changes are, are kind of creeping up, situations that might cause me to change on a dime. So if we're just keeping our focus on him, spending time with him regularly, we should be able to catch these, these changes before they even happen and, you know, spend more time with God. Thank him for, God, thank you for, for being right there for me, for kind of pointing out to me, listen, this, this could cause you to just kind of flip on me, right? So that's, that's what I want us to think about as, as we leave here. Um, like I said, we can think about the fact that Easter is coming up next week. Okay, we're going to come in, we're going to celebrate, we're going to have a great time. It's always a great time to celebrate Easter. Um, you know, obviously Easter is uh, kind of a mark of, you know, spring. Spring's supposed to be here at least. I guess it depends on where you live. But uh, Easter is always a great time of year. But we need to remember that we need to celebrate the story of Easter every single day. And if we're doing that, then, then we shouldn't be able to, we shouldn't be falling into these traps that the people that we looked at this morning did and, and how they changed so quickly from being somebody who praises God, uh, thanks him for who he is, for what he's done, for what he's going to do, to being somebody who's angry at him, blaming him, uh, being afraid to admit that you're a follower of him and not even making time to spend with him. So uh, I hope that this is something that, that we can take with us as we go throughout our week um, and even keep this in mind as we're, we're telling people about Easter services next week, as we're inviting them to come on out, as we're sharing the Easter story with them. Let's keep this in mind because uh, it, it, it doesn't stop once we're saved. Right? When, once we're saved, it's a continual commitment to, to want to live for Christ. So let's go ahead and pray this morning and we'll go into a, a time of invitation and uh, we'll sing a song together, and, and uh, let's just go ahead and go to God in prayer. Dear God, I thank you once again for this morning. I thank you for the time that we've been able to come together and, uh, and worship you, fellowship with each other, and go into your word this morning, God. And I just pray um, that if there's any of us here who maybe right now in our lives we can relate directly with one of these three examples that we looked at, God, um, that, that we would recognize that, that we would, we would turn to you, that we would give that over to you, that we would surrender every part of us, every, every part of our life to you, God, that we would, we would not be afraid to just be fully committed to you each and every day. I pray that if there's somebody here who, uh, who maybe is struggling with making time, uh, making time to spend time with you, God, I pray that, that we would recognize that if any of us are dealing with that, that we would recognize that we just need to prioritize differently, that we need to put you above everything else and make that time for you. I pray uh, if there's any of us who maybe are struggling with uh, maybe being ashamed of admitting to people that we're a follower of you, God, I pray that you would um, help us to recognize that, that we would uh, realize that we have nothing to be ashamed of to be a follower of you and that really because of what you've done for us, we should want to share that with everybody that we come in contact with. And finally, God, I pray that if there's anybody here who uh, is maybe dealing with a difficult circumstance in their life, um, 
I just pray that they would have the right perspective and recognize that no matter what is going on, that you're in control, that they can look to you uh, for strength and, uh, and just trust in you that you're going to carry them through that, uh, that they would grow closer to you through it, that we would be able to use a story of us, you know, looking to you and trusting in you in difficult times, that we can use that uh, to share how great, powerful, and loving you are to those around us, God. And I pray that as we prepare over this next week, uh, coming up to Easter, that we, we really start to think about what it is that we're celebrating at Easter. And God, I pray that we wouldn't just stop celebrating it once service ends next week, but that we would celebrate the story of Easter, the story of you sending your son to die on a cross for our sins, that we would celebrate that each and every day, that our words and our actions would reflect that, and that we would find any opportunity that we run into, that you would present any opportunity for us to want to share the truth of the gospel with those that we come in contact with. I just pray that you would be with us this morning. I would pray you bless this time of invitation. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.